calling all conscious achievers who are seeking more community and connection, I've got an invitation for you. Join me at this year's Summit of Greatness, this September 7th through 9th in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio to unleash your true greatness. This is the one time a year that I gather the greatness community together in person for a powerful transformative weekend. People come from all over the world and you can expect to hear from inspiring speakers like Inky Johnson, Jaspreet Singh, Vanessa Van Edwards, Jen Sincero, and many more. You'll also be able to dance your heart out to live music, get your body moving with group workouts, and connect with others at our evening socials. So if you're ready to learn, heal, and grow alongside other incredible individuals in the greatness community, then you can learn more at lewishouse.com slash summit 2023. Make sure to grab your ticket, invite your friends, and I'll see you there. So what type of physical activity should we be doing to lose the, the midsection weight? Aerobic exercise. And aerobic means with air, which means that it's at, at an intensity low enough that we can breathe comfortably and supply the oxygen. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off human nature can get a little messy but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97 percent bio-based formula for when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea totally not speaking from experience let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Welcome to this special masterclass. We've brought some of the top experts in the world to help you unlock the power of your life through this specific theme today. It's going to be powerful, so let's go ahead and dive in. So as soon as you start huffing and puffing, that's not a bad thing for short duration, but if you go and you do a 45-minute spin class every day and you're just huffing and puffing, you're going to make 
way, way, way too much cortisol. Really? Yes. So you might be hurting your chances of losing the weight yes. if you're doing that intensive of a workout every day. Correct. If you're doing a HIIT training two, three times a week for 45 minutes, is that okay? Do you feel like that's still intense? If it's 45 minutes, it's not HIIT. Gotcha. Yeah. HIIT, high intensity, means that it's so intense, to me, my definition. It's like 10, 15 minutes. It's, like it's not, well, maybe the total duration would be 10, 15 minutes. But if you do interval, high, high intensity interval training is what HIIT is. Mm -hmm. Then the intervals should be so intense, you can't even do them for more than 30 seconds. Wow. Like they, they should be so intense, provided you're fit enough to, to do that, of course. But if you do 30 seconds and then you do 30 second rest and then 30 seconds, you should be able to bring your heart rate up to maximum in maybe four or five intervals. Mm -hmm. That is hit. Okay, now, now you're done. Right. Right. You've, you've created your, minutes. Yeah. Your, your positive hormones. Uh, your, your growth hormone to stimulate fat burning, your growth hormone to stimulate uh, muscle building to produce and, and, and to stimulate new brain synapses to enhance learning and focus. Uh, all the good stuff in the brain depends on, on hormones. And mm. two of those hormones are human growth hormone and BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And those two hormones are necessary to make new synapses, right? So your, your brain is constantly remodeling. And every time you learn something, whether you're 20 years old or 80 years old, you make new synapses. And the synapses you use, they get stronger. The ones that you don't use go away. Mm -hmm. But these two hormones, which some of the strongest ways to produce them is high intensity exercise and fasting are pretty much required to build a brain and and to learn really so what type of high intensity exercise are you doing on a weekly basis my favorite to really get the heart rate up is i go to my favorite mountain uh, in in close to where i live where there's a trail and it's like four, four miles around and I walk a little bit, I jog a little bit, I walk a little bit, jog a little bit, just kind of enjoying the, the movement. And my heart rate t probably stays around 100 to 120, 130 mm -hmm. maybe. And then I, I, there's some hills and then I do some sprints up the hills. Mm. So now I push it a little bit and 30 second push and my heart rate's 160. And then I walk a little, jog a little, there's another hill and I push it a little bit more and my heart rate hits 165, 170. And, and that might, I might do that in 30 seconds or it might take a minute to, to get to that heart rate and then I'm done. You do a few hills. Yes. What if you did 20 hills? Then too much, a 10 to 30 second. That might be okay if you're 20, 25 years old, you're an elite athlete mm -hmm. and that's part of, of your event. But if you're 45, 50, 60, and you just try to stay as healthy as possible, I think that's too much. Really? And in any event, it's unnecessary because it's not about the quantity 
quantity is good for fitness, but not not necessarily for health. Interesting. So you only need a you know a few <clears throat> sprints every couple. Is this every day or every few days? It's I I would say it's no more than twice a week. Twice a week for the for the average person now, mm -hmm. and we we have yes. to. If if you're watching this, you you have to understand if you're in in the elite athlete mm -hmm. category or in the 50 year old trying to stave off living life degenerative yeah. disease. Yes, yes, yeah. So if you're more of a uh, you know if you're an athlete, even in your 40s and 50s, you could push it a little farther if you're competing in stuff or doing triathlons or marathons yeah. or yeah. just wanting to stay lean. Yeah. It's important to be doing that a little bit more. Yeah. So there, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I talk a lot in my videos about moderation. Like you do these hit exercises, mm -hmm. you, you do it twice a week, you keep it short. But obviously that doesn't apply to someone who has a, a goal in an event. If you're going after fitness, mm -hmm. there is no substitute for punishing yourself. Right. You gotta, you gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're going to perform in, in an event, you need to do something similar to that event at that level of intensity yeah, yeah. and duration. So fasting and high-intensity exercise, but it's not doing a you know, CrossFit every day, five days a week, because yeah. that creates too much cortisol. Correct. Especially if you're older, you know, past 30 or something, it's probably yeah. not as good to do that. Is something like that, you know, a 45 to 60-minute CrossFit type of training once a week you think okay or is it still creating too much cortisol i think that's i think once or twice a week for the average person if you feel good i think is fine mm -hmm. yeah but again i when i have people come in to my clinic those are people who have been to 20 different doctors they have tried vegan and carnivore and low carb and and yo-yo dieting uh -huh. and gluten-free They've, they've done all that. So the, these are people with, with challenges. And now if, if you're a little frail, now that's where you really have to be careful and, and get everything right. But yeah, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you're, you're feeling fine, then go for it. Do, do sure. one or two of those spin classes. And what I would caution though is pay attention notice how your body is reacting how do you feel after the class are you exhausted are you are you stiff in the morning Can, do you have trouble getting out of bed do your joints hurt the, the next day then you're probably doing too much doing too much yeah and what about you know we talked about fasting a little bit here what are the, the top three benefits of intermittent fasting or longer fasting you know 24 hour 48 hour fasting that you've seen in your research so number one is lowering insulin. Uh, number and and with that lowering blood sugar, losing weight, etc. The other big thing is that you induce something called autophagy, but that's with that's with longer fasting. Autophagy is it's called self. It, autophagy stands for self eating, and that's where. If you're putting food in your body, if you're putting especially protein in your body, there's plenty of resources. Your body knows, hey, there's some, there's some more coming. I can just use that to, to build tissue and to, to do the stuff I need. But if you stop 
putting it in, now it becomes a very, very scarce resource. So now your body has to figure out where else can I get this? Mm -hmm. And that's where autophagy, self-eating comes in. So now your body upregulates its recycling mechanisms. How okay. long does it take to fast before autophagy starts? So again, that's what everybody asks, and it's not a, a black or white. It's a continuous, it, it's a gradient. I would say that it barely starts around 16 to 18 hours. Mm. That's where you get like a trickle, but then it increases pretty fast where there's a significant change between 18 and 24 hours. And then it, it sort of takes off from there. So 48 hours into it, it's, it's very significant. 48 hours into it. Yeah. So the longer you can go every, you know, extra few hours, it continues to self-eat. Yes. The, the yes. fat stored in your body more and yes. more. Yes, yeah. So the self-eating now, part of what it eats is, is fat, obviously, because you're not adding any fuel. But the key with autophagy is protein. Mm -hmm. Because you need protein to, to build the tissue. Your, your cells have so much of a lifespan, they break down, and then you have to make new ones. And you need protein for that. So when you don't add any, now you have to go look for some. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's where fasting is dangerous because you're going to eat up your muscles. Mm -hmm. The body is too smart for that because you need your muscles to go on the next hunt. Mm -hmm. So we have all these mechanisms to spare muscles. And that's why growth hormone increases also exponentially along with autophagy. And growth hormone is muscle sparing. Mm. It's basically telling the body, or one of the mechanisms that tell the body, don't use the muscle, go find something else. So now it gets much better at recycling these broken cells. It gets much better at finding any kind of resource like virus and bacteria and parasites mm. that may also be made out of protein. Really? And, and kind of eating those things, the bad things Correct. first. Interesting. Yeah. What's the longest you've gone fasting? The longest I've done is five days or no, four, four and a half. No food, water only. Just water. Yeah, I've done three days. Yeah. And you see the benefits a lot after a yeah. day and a half. You really start yeah. to see and feel the benefits. Yeah. By day three, I went the total right up to three, and I was like, "Okay, I need." I was starting to get a little tired, and I yeah. think I pushed it because I worked out twice, which yeah. I'm probably not supposed to do. But I did like a an incline walk for an hour, and I, yeah. you know, which I, I don't recommend. But I was trying to be extreme. Yeah, that's that's probably too much. Yeah, and this is where we come into this muscle sparing thing. Mm -hmm. That I'm all in favor of doing some exercise while you're fasting because because you're going to increase your ketones you're going to increase your your growth hormone but if you're not adding any protein and you do something intense enough to break down muscle now your body has to sort of juggle the resources like it has to repair those muscles and where's the protein going to come from mm -hmm. so it might break down some other muscles to repair that. Interesting. Okay, I haven't seen specific research on this or anything. It's just kind of common sense. What what would the body do? Sure.
So I, I would exercise, but I would keep it to purely aerobic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even do hit, not even brief hit during those times. Right, right. What did you do for those four and a half, five days? Uh, I probably not didn't do much of anything. Right, right. Just probably rest. just yeah, maybe a little bit of walking, but mm-hmm. basically just my my everyday activities. Yeah. Did you feel pretty sharp after two three days? Or did you start to feel a little slower towards the end. I don't feel as great as people tell me they feel. <laughs> yeah, I feel so so much energy. Yeah. yeah so so I I do okay. I don't feel any. Any dramatic improvement in, in focus, but I do know that that it happens because I get the testimonials, and mm-hmm. and I do know, especially for people who might have insulin resistance, when they fast, they're going to increase their ketones, which becomes the the alternative brain fuel. Right, and it also kind of helps heal certain things. The if you've been driving the insulin, it's allowing that to recover more, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Your your whole carbohydrate processing machine is recovering because you're not you're not adding anything. Right, right. And and one more thing about autophagy and fasting is for brain trauma, and and this I've I've hardly ever heard it spoken about that the brain is it's kind of its own little world. Up there inside the cranium, we have the blood-brain barrier, and a lot of things that go on in the brain are different than the way they work in the body. So the reason, for example, that that spinal cord injuries are so devastating is that the nervous system is really poor at repairing itself. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not. It's it's encased in bone for a reason. It's not supposed to get damaged. You're not supposed to crack your skull or, or break your spine. And, and that sense that the tissue is a little different, it's sensitive. And it doesn't have the capacity to repair itself very, very well. But the, if you have a concussion, for example, you get some, some tissue brain trauma, you get some inflammation. And about the only way that the brain can clean that up is through autophagy, mm, the self-eating. Our government told us to eat 6 to 11 servings of bread, rice, cereal, and pasta today to eat a low-fat diet. And fats and oils were sparingly only at the top supposed to be eaten. And yet that advice led to the worst obesity epidemic and diabetes epidemic in the history of mankind. That's like the the food charts that we all saw in school, right? Completely opposite of what we should be doing. And and so the science has caught up with uh, this bad advice. And Mm. the advice, unfortunately, Lewis, was based on really shoddy science, on very weak evidence, Mm. on a few population studies, not really experimental studies. In fact, all the experimental studies that told us to eat low-fat diets... Uh, they actually didn't tell us that we should be doing that. They were actually contradicting the recommendations that were developed in 1980 mm. by the UK and the USA. Really? So basically, if you looked at the actual randomized controlled trials, that were there weren't that many, but there was a few of them. They all said that eating low fat wasn't beneficial. But the These were outside of the U.S. trials. No trials all over trials okay. in the U.S. Okay. They just didn't look at that evidence. So the guideline committees who were working on it didn't they sort of dismiss that evidence, mm. and they had this theory. And they went with the theory, because it made sense, right? If you if you look at calories, for example, fat has nine calories per gram, carbs and protein have four calories per gram. 
So you think, well, gee, if it has more calories per gram, if you eat less of it, you're going to lose more weight. Mm. Logical. Right. But unfortunately, metabolism is not a math problem. Uh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's a <laughs> okay. metabolic problem. It's a hormonal problem. It's not energy balance. The whole idea of calories in, calories out. This is the biggest crock of you know what that's been pushed <laughs> on the American public because there's a message implicit in that, which is uh-huh. if you just told someone to lose weight by eating less and exercising more, if they don't do it, it's their fault, mm. right? Just eat less, exercise more. And if you don't, you're a lazy glutton, right? Right. So it's your fault you're fat, okay? right? But the truth is that it's not. It's not just about calorie balance. In fact, that's what the uh, the global energy balance, quote, global energy balance network, uh, which was actually funded by Coca-Cola, mm. and they, they actually actually funded university scientists to, to kind of be the front people for this nonsense that's wow. all about calories in, calories out, has been completely discredited. The, the New York Times wrote a, a big expose of this, but what we've been taught is that all calories are the same. They're actually not. So food is not just energy. It's actually information. It gives what instructions, right? So this is like a big breakthrough in science, right? Uh-huh. So food is not just calories. It's actually information. So the information in food communicates with your body every single minute. So every bite you take, it turns on or off genes that create health or disease that make you lose or gain weight. Mm. It turns on or off hormones that make you lose or gain weight or create health or disease. It's it, like a feedback for you. It, it's direct instructions, and it, and it works minute by minute. It's not something that takes a long time. It regulates inflammation. It regulates your hormones, as I said. It regulates your brain chemistry. It regulates even your gut microbiome, all the flora in your gut that we now know are linked to everything from weight mm-hmm. gain, diabetes, to heart disease, to cancer, to autoimmune diseases, and so many other things. It's the gut e- health, right? Even depression and ADD and autism may be linked to changes in your gut flora. So we now know that when you eat food, it's not just about the energy in it. Because if that was true, then you could just survive on soda all day, and it wouldn't matter as long as you only eat 1,800 calories of soda. And I had this argument. <laughs> right, right, right. I had this argument with the vice chairman of Pepsi. We had dinner together. And I'm no telling you. No way. Yeah, we had dinner. <laughs> and the guy in between us, because I was sitting here, he's sitting here. The guy was like, was like being in the middle of like a war zone. And I said to him, how can you say that? How can you say that eating 1,800 calories of soda is the same as having 1,800 calories of broccoli or almonds? Right. He says, well, as, as long as you have that amount of calories, you're not gonna, no. it's not going to be any different. I said, this is just not how the but body works. You're not works. getting the nutritional value from that, right? Right. I mean, when you, well, it's not even nutritional. So just, just like look at 1,000 calories, let's say uh, 750 calories of broccoli is, uh-huh. is 21 cups, 35 grams of fiber, half a teaspoon of sugar. Uh-huh. And uh, tons of phytonutrients, phytochemicals that upregulate uh, your genes that, that actually help you prevent cancer, that mm-hmm. improve hormone metabolism, but so many things, right? Same calories from a big gulp, 750 calories, <laughs> 46 teaspoons of sugar, oh. right? High fructose corn syrup upregulates your liver to turn on a fat production factory that makes high triglycerides. Stores fat more, right? Stores fat, lowers triglycerides. Mm-hmm. I mean, low, raises triglycerides, lowers the good cholesterol, causes a fatty liver, raises hormones oh, that, that make you, um, in women, make them grow hair on their face and have lost hair on their head. Men, they drop their testosterone. They have no sex drive and they right. lose their hair on their bodies. All this from the same calories, right? The number of calories. Calories are the same, yes. but the information in the food is very different. So now we have this concept that is actually uh, really about the hormonal, I call it the hormonal hypothesis that I talk about in Eat Fat, Get Thin, which is how do you change your hormones so you're not hungry all the time? Because what- That's what, the key. The typical advice, you eat low fat, 
and you, your, your fat actually makes you satisfied. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game, or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Right. Because if you mm -hmm. if you eat fat, you're not craving all the time. You're not hungry. And it actually is a brain actually food mm -hmm. because it actually stops the addiction center in the brain from turning on. So you never feel hungry or have any cravings. Mm. It also speeds up your metabolism. Fat speeds up your really? metabolism. Yeah. So it helps and you burn more fat. Helps you burn time, more right? fat. It releases fat from the fat cells. Interesting. Right. So it 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 makes you less hungry it's it makes you burn more fat and it and it liberates the fat from the fat cell so it's really a powerful whereas if you eat sugar the opposite happens you get hungrier because you increase insulin you dry when you I used to have so much sugar it's terrible well, like, i was it, addicted to it all of us were i mean i was too i was a vegetarian i ate like tons of of you know whole wheat bread and oh. sugar and honey and everything all of, i mean grape nuts and ice cream for breakfast <laughs> that's my that was my life right so when did you stop when did the research become known or the the facts or the data become it's known? it's not where, even it's honest that's why you're a doctor book. and no. you're eating sugar no, no. it's not when even. did when did you start to realize and when did this information about fat become you know well it's been mounting for decades right so it's it's building on a mountain of evidence and yes. in the book i reviewed over a thousand studies or 500 quoted 
word in the book that I referenced. Wow. They wouldn't let me put more because there was no room <laughs> in the back much. of the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's all well documented. And, wow. and And the science of this is very powerful. One of my colleagues, David Ludwig, wrote a book called Always Hungry. He's a Harvard professor. He's done a lot of the research that this is based on where he frankly gave two groups of people same calories. Okay, same calories, but changed the percents of fat and carbs. Uh-huh. And it was a very well-controlled study. And in the first group, you know, they had 60% carbs, 20% fat, 20% protein. The other group switched it. 60% fat, 20% carbs, you know, 20% protein. So it's the opposite. And the group that had the high-fat diet burned 300 calories more a day mm. by doing nothing else. Really? Just yeah. by having more fat? By eating more fat. Their, their metabolism sped up 300 calories a day. It's like Same running. amount of calories, though. They ate, they ate the same amount of calories in. But they but burned 300 Right, because their metabolism sped up. Interesting. Right. So in other words, it's like running an hour a day without getting off the couch. Interesting. Right? Yeah. That's powerful. They're very powerful. Yeah. And I know for me, you know, as, as I've seen myself and my patients, the transformation is amazing and their cholesterol gets mm-hmm. better. It's, it's to- totally contradictory. Yeah. Right? Fat is supposed to raise your cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Right? Eating cholesterol is supposed to raise your cholesterol. But for the first time since the dietary guidelines came out in 1980, the U.S. government in 2015 completely reversed their stance on fat. There's really? no more when restriction. Did this happen? Like uh, January, first week of January 2016. This year? This year. Like a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. They just changed this. They changed this completely. The whole guide. Completely. So really? They were, first time, they said, forget about fat. You can eat as much as you want. No, no way. No limit on fat. This is the no, government, huh? The government... The Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee established Holy these recommendations. Cow. This is a scientific group that establishes guidelines for the government, helps them shape policy, and then the, the government makes the policy. They kind of they kind Based of around this research or this. Yeah, they, 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 they said you know no worry about fat, don't worry about cholesterol. Eggs are back, right? Eggs are back. You know, forget about the egg white omelets. Just eat the whole egg. No way. Completely. And they said there's they, what they, it, made, it made me laugh. They said uh, nutri- uh, cholesterol is no longer a nutrient of concern. Quote, nutrient of concern. Like, well, we got it wrong for 35 years. No way. Yeah. So it's like. It's totally different. And they, they also said that we should, for the first time, they said we should reduce sugar. Now, the, the, the policy advisors who were the scientists said we should limit sugar-sweetened beverages because they're proven to be linked to obesity and diabetes. But the government because of the food lobby, changed the wording to say, no, we should be restricting added sugar. So we should eat less added sugars. Now, what's an added sugar? <laughs> it doesn't say added sugar on the label. Right. So how do you know? Because the food labeling from the FDA is also influenced by the food lobby. Right. So it should say added sugar on the label, not just sugar. Mm. Right. So you don't know. Right. Interesting. So it's designed to totally confuse people. But the truth is that this is a huge advance. And now we, we actually have come to realize that this is not true. So the science around uh, fat and how your body burns fat and what makes you fat is all really clear now. And it's all based mm. on this hormone idea of insulin, which is a fat storage hormone. Yes. So anything you eat that increases insulin, which is With sugar, sugar, refined flour. I mean, white flour raises your blood sugar more than table sugar. So if you had two slices of white bread, it raises your blood sugar more than a tablespoon no of table sugar. We have like, I mean, eating whole wheat bread. It's just as bad. Unless the bread is so like dense that you can stand on it without it squishing, 
then you shouldn't eat you it. Shouldn't eat it. No, like the German Gosh, rye bread. I love bread though. Yeah, everybody That's a loves challenge. bread. Now the bread we eat isn't the bread we ate, right? So right. our ancestors ate very it's different. It's not bread. the hard bread. That's it was very like, coarse, yeah. and it, we only had the the grain mills that started in the 1800s. Before that, we couldn't eat refined grain, and 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 now even whole wheat is super refined. It's just you and, know. And are all grains bad as well, in your opinion? No, I don't think all grains are bad. I, you know, I joke. I say, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, an induction plan, like basically a, a way to get quick start to change you from like just being storing fat to burning fat to eating fat to f- makes you thin. Uh, and that's a 21-day plan. And after that, I talk about how you transition to what I call a pegan diet. Pegan? Pegan, as opposed to paleo or vegan. It okay. was kind of a joke because one day I was sitting- <laughs> In between? Yeah, I was sitting on a panel with two friends of mine. One was a vegan cardiologist <laughs> and the other was like a paleo doctor. Sure. And I was like, well, I don't know. I guess I must be a pegan because I'm in the middle here. <laughs> and, okay. What does a pegan diet look like? So a pegan diet, you know, what's, what's amazing, um, Lewis, is that the the principles of paleo vegan are often very similar. So- both groups believe that we should be eating whole, unprocessed, unrefined foods. Yes. We should get rid of food additives, foods hormones. Food Yeah, you know, everything. Yeah. No antibiotics, no hormones, no pesticides, no GMO. We should be ha- having no MSG, no artificial sweeteners, no high fructose corn yeah. syrup. Everybody agrees that, that, that that's true. We also agree that everybody should be eating lots of fruits and vegetables. Yes. Right? A little heavy on the plant foods. Yep. Basic principles. Both agree that we shouldn't have dairy. Which is interesting, yes. right? We'll talk about and that. Paleo, no dairy as well. No right? dairy, right? Yeah. No dairy. No I guess vegan. there's some of them that say like some specific cheeses or something. Yeah, or, you know, grass-fed butter. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. there's some things, yeah, but you know, yeah. but it's but the the proteins in dairy are very inflammatory, <laughs> and the dairy again we eat isn't the dairy we ate. We've hybridized our cows. It's all fertilized by one bull. Right. It's not organic dairy, it's, like, and it's not organic. It's not raw. It's not how our ancestors ate it. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Even organic cows, they pump, uh, milk them when they're pregnant, and they're just full of hormones. So, mm, okay. And also, you know, it's it's just not always tolerated well by many people. Right. And then- um, What else do they both every, have in common? Everybody agrees that we should be uh, eating foods that, that um, are phytonutrient-rich, that are nutrient-dense, and, and we should be lots of nuts and seeds and lots of good oils like avocados mm-hmm. and olive oil. What's what's phytonutrient? What does that mean? Phytonutrient is a, is a chemical that's in plant foods- Phyto means plant, and it's not a vitamin or mineral. It's not a protein, fat, or carb, or fiber. It's something else. So, for example, like broccoli has glucosinolates, which upregulates detoxification. Okay. Catechins are in green tea, which are powerful detoxifiers of metal, powerful antioxidants. Uh, tomatoes have lycopene, mm. which is a powerful uh, cancer preventer for prostate cancer. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, the an- uh, anthocyanidins. You can have black rice, which has anthocyanidins, which are powerful antioxidants that are in black rice. It's emperor's rice. Love that. It's also very low glycemic. Sure. So, I think the 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 things that they they, they disagree on are basically beans, grains, and meat. Like where you get your protein from. Everything right. else is everybody the is the same. Paleo and vegan is the same, same. except for meat. Beans, and yeah, and them? protein. I mean, okay. I, I beans, beans, grains, and protein. Beans, grains, and protein. Okay, like, right. And I mean, you know, like uh, you know, meat. Right. And so, yeah, sure. you know, what I realize is that you know, I, I think many people who who are sick do better when you take out certain things that can be inflammatory or high glycemic. So, if you're, for example, carbohydrate intolerant and you're diabetic, which affects a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I talk about how do you find out if you're carbohydrate intolerant in the book, which is there's a questionnaire you can tell if you actually know if you're someone mm-hmm. who's carbohydrate intolerant, okay. like someone who's gluten intolerant. 
That means if they eat a lot of starch, if they have like two cups of rice, even if it's brown rice or two cups of beans, it can adversely affect their sugar. So I talk about like having less, like having smaller portions of beans and grains. Sure. And non-gluten grains in particular, because right. gluten can be very inflammatory for many people. Um, I think for some people who don't react to it, it can be fine, but not in large amounts. Mm-hmm. And then I think, uh, you know, meat is, a big, is the big issue, right? So meat sure. is the big issue. So should we be we just We just had dinner the other night. Right. We both had meat, right? We had fish. Uh, we had fish, we had yeah. Black cod. Yes, that's which great. Was, which was awesome. <laughs> I had a mahi-mahi. You had a black cod, is that what it was? Oh, you had the, yeah, I had the black cod. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had the black cod. The guy next to me had meatballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy next to me had carne asada. <laughs> but, you know, so so the issues around meat also, I think, are everybody agrees, and fish, everybody agrees, that if, if anybody eats meat, it should be humanely raised, it should be sustainably grass raised, fed. it should be grass-fed, it yeah. should be not harming the environment. The ethical and the environmental issues around animal eating are big and they're real. Yeah. I mean, I have many Buddhist patients. I have an, a Buddhist monk who's like an abbot who's a... You know, as a diabetic, and he's never going to eat an animal. You know, sure, so sure. I, I need to help him, help him understand how to, he's never going to eat an egg, how to eat a high, hmm. higher fat protein diet, which is low glycemic. Right. So we can do that. Okay. Right. So um, more nuts and seeds. You know, less rice, more beans. You know, just there's there's strategies for for doing that. Sure. And he did great. He lost 35 pounds, reversed his diabetes, and now I have like wow. tons of bun people. You know, praying for me. <laughs> That's and, great. Yeah, and uh, and then the the uh, the meat thing is tricky because uh, you know it's also um, an environmental risk if you're eating factory farmed animals. There's yeah. antibiotics in that, and is uh, runoff from the mm. pesticides and fertilizers that damages our water supply and rivers and lakes. There's uh, climate change that happens from the methane produced. It's more more toxic to the environment than carbon right. dioxide. There's so and there's high energy use. One fifth of all our fossil fuels are used for growing animals for human consumption. Uh, you know our water is is being used up at incredible rates for for feeding animals. There's there's basically mm. uh, I think seventy percent of all water use, and there's basically only five percent of the world's surface is is fresh water. It's usable. Right it's now, fresh right. water. Yeah, yeah. Right, one percent is in Russia, <laughs> wow, and at least four percent for the rest of us, and and seventy percent of that is being used for feeding animals for human consumption. So there's real huh. environmental issues. Sure. So I think uh, you know, a factory farming just should be not supported in any way, and we need to change that. And that yeah. means we need to to change our patterns of consumption around meat. We need mm-hmm. to downsize our meat consumption. I call it having condom meat. Condiment. Condiment, as opposed to con- like a condiment, uh-huh. like condiment. You know, it okay. should be a, a side dish or a dressing if you're going to sure, eat it. Sure. And I think um, not a full plate of steak. You mean? You know, I think <laughs> th- there's there's three issues with with meat, right? There's environmental issues, there's moral issues, mm-hmm. and there's health issues. So we kind of talked about the moral. I think that's yeah. people are entitled to their beliefs, and they should be able to follow whatever they want and be healthy. The environmental issues are real, mm-hmm. and I think everybody would agree, whether they're paleo-vegan, that we need to stop harming the environment. And I think even if you're not paleo-vegan, everybody re- really releases, believes yeah. that. In fact, the Dietary Advisory Committee that was advising the government said we should limit meat consumption because of the environmental impact, hmm. right? Now, if you, every, if, you, if you have grass-fed meat and if you have sustainably raised meat, you can't – it's not – as as abundant, you can't produce as much, and so we yeah. all have to eat less of it. Right, and it's more expensive. So, exactly. but that's okay. And I think that that from a health point of view, when I really looked at the literature, and I did this in, in Eat Fat Get Thin, I looked at all the research that I could find on meat because I was I'm like, well, I don't know. You want to know for yourself too? Yeah, I'm like, I'm I'm recommending to my patients. I'm you know a human too, and I yeah, want to yeah. live a long time, yeah, exactly. and I don't want to be doing something stupid. Yeah. 
So I wanted to find out what, what does the science tell us about meat? So you did all the research. So I looked at all the research, and I wrote 8,000 words in the book on meat. Wow. There's a lot of research in there. And I addressed all these issues, you know, environmental, moral. And the health issues were quite interesting. You know, when we look at the studies on meat, and anybody can quote anything saying anything, right? <laughs> right. So you want the paleo people, like, meat's healthy. Here's all the research. And the vegan people, like, meat's going to kill you. Here's all the research. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and then you're at the average Joe, you're totally confused. And your average doctor, you're totally confused because we had no training in nutrition. And so, they haven't done the research themselves. And, no. I so mean, they're going off of their opinion or their theory. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like average people like the rest of us in terms of nutrition science. They don't know because it's not what we learn, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just am at Cleveland Clinic, and we implemented a nutrition curriculum for the first time in the medical school. They have this wow. integrated in, which is so great. And that's awesome. I, I helped Tim Ryan, who's a congressman from Ohio, introduce Tim. Yeah, Tim. He's he loves great. Tim. He's great. Yeah. Has he been on the show? He's, he's been on here, yeah. He's great. You know, introduce a bill called the Enrich Act which was a bill that is funding $15 million to fund nutrition in medical schools, nutrition education for doctors. Interesting. That's what we need the most because doctors, yeah. a lot of the time, I feel like could heal a lot of their patients With through food. food. Oh, my God. Well, food is the cause of most chronic disease. It's the cure for most chronic disease, and yet doctors know nothing about food. And they just medicate a lot of the no. time. I mean, listen, it's so bad. I mean, I use food as medicine. That's yeah. what I – food is the – most powerful drug yeah. on the planet. I mean, that's why last week I was in Cleveland at the hospital teaching 300 black women how to cook in a cooking class. Go. Like, that's what doctors should be doing because yeah. that's how I'm going to get people That's healthy. real medicine, right? That's real medicine. Now, <laughs> just just a quick side note. Yeah. What is your involvement with – what is functional medicine and what is your involvement at the Cleveland Clinic? Can I, can I finish my meat? Yes, go ahead. Yes, I, was yes, still, yes. I was still rolling on the meat. Go and then we'll it. talk about functional medicine and then we'll yes. talk about Cleveland Clinic. Perfect, perfect. Because people want to know. Like They're like, yeah. well, what about meat? They're like probably listening. Yeah, let's do it. So so the science words. Eight, I'm not going to give you a thousand words, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a few hundred. Perfect. So, so the science of meat uh, was fascinating. So when I looked at the studies that showed it was harmful, here's what here's what they were. They were mostly population studies, meaning they looked at groups of people, followed them, and then they asked questions of them. What did you eat last year? What did you eat last week? What did you eat last you know month? You know, and they basically do these food frequency questionnaires, and then they correlate that with the risk of disease. And they try to control for all the confounding factors, but it's very tough. So the people who ate meat. Yeah, they had more heart disease mm -hmm. and more cancer and mm -hmm. more death. But what else was... They were smoking, they were yeah, drinking, exactly. they were so, sleeping, right, they exactly. stressed so, out. So if you look at the data, they, they, they ate 800 more calories a day. Yeah. They almost ate no fruits and vegetables. Tons of sugar. They had tons of sugar and processed food, lots of fried foods. Drank more, smoked more, didn't exercise, and didn't take any vitamins and minerals. Well, guess what? You're they weren't as healthy as the <laughs> other people. So most of the studies were like that. Now, there was a few studies that were interesting I found. One was a study of 11,000 people who shopped at health food stores. And they found there were like a lot of vegetarians and a lot of meat eaters. Mm -hmm. Like, So who are the people who are you know like healthy meat eaters who only eat grass-fed meat or who – because most of these studies were not on grass-fed meat either. They were on yeah. factory farm meat, right? So, so then again, how do you generalize that? Sure. But then there were these 11,000 people, and they followed them for many years, and they found that the meat eaters and the vegetarians, there was no difference in their health outcomes. Mm. Exactly the same. So if you're a meat eater who basically eats a healthy diet and has grass-fed meat versus a vegan or vegetarian, no difference and in health And you have a healthy outcomes. lifestyle. Healthy lifestyle, then there's no difference. What is the main cause in your mind to why it's so hard for people to get rid of that extra 20 or 30 pounds of belly back fat? So when you think about fat burning, there's two different uh, phenomenon at play. One is thermodynamics, so there's more calories in than calories out. And then the other is lipolysis. 
So if you're going to restructure or recomp a building or your body, you have to remove blocks in some places and then put blocks in other places. So a lot of fat burners help with lipolysis. So they break fat molecules down and they increase, for example, mitochondrial beta oxidation, which is basically just you're metabolizing fats and then using them in the electron transport chain of the mitochondria. The details don't really matter, but that's essentially the powerhouse of your cell. And you can do that all you want, but if you're still, um, you know, in at caloric maintenance or even excess surplus, then you're just going to take all those blocks and then put them right back into fat cells. Gotcha. So you need a caloric deficit, it sounds like, somewhere mm-hmm. at some point in order to remove. You need to be exercising more than you're mm-hmm. consuming. You're burning, you're burning more calories than you're consuming. Correct. Or consuming less than you normally would. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. There's many tools and ways to achieve this, of mm, course. Sure. What ways? So the the OG way is just counting calories. Right. And even if you look at doctors and dietitians, we usually underestimate the amount of calories that we consume, I believe by at least 10%. Wow. And we overestimate the amount of calories that we burn by about 10%. We think we're burning more. Correct. We're not. Even doctors and dietitians. Really? Yeah. And we think we're eating less, but there's always hidden calories in something, right? Mm-hmm. Or you maybe didn't weigh it perfectly or it was a bigger size or mm-hmm. something, right? Okay, so that's the original ways to count calories. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend that strategy? For some individuals, it's particularly helpful. Most of the time that I see a patient in in my clinic, and a lot of what I do is obesity medicine. I am board certified in obesity medicine. Uh, They have already done that. And many of the time they say, it doesn't work. And uh, I eat like a bird. And (laughs) there is nothing... uh, There's nothing quite as powerful to destroy a physician-patient relationship than to just tell the patient that they're lying or that they don't know what they're talking about. Right. So it's not helpful to push that angle of vector. That's just a tool, and there's many tools in the toolbox. For some people, 
uh, whether it's genetic or epigenetic or just their situation that they're in in life or their mental health or their hormone health, it makes it very difficult for them to lose weight, almost like it's uh, more difficult for someone in quicksand to get out. Mm. So you can teach a person how to dig. That's your lifestyle uh, interventions. But you should also give them a shovel to help out. It doesn't necessarily mean that you throw a shovel at them. Sure. But that's where medications and supplements come in to address uh, whether it's insulin resistance or whether it's their mental health or their hormone health to help give them the tool to do it themselves. Mm. Okay. So the counting the calories works for some, doesn't work for everyone. What else would you suggest they do then? Or what have you seen has been really effective consistently for people you've worked with? When I write a prescription for this, I have several different uh, areas or boxes that I can circle. And one of them is number of meals per day. One of them is macronutrients, for example, carbohydrates. One of them is timing of meals. One of them is eating speed. So there's a lot of strategies to um, develop good eating speed habits. For example, split your meal into three different portions. Consume one, wait 10 minutes. Consume the next one if you would like, wait 10 minutes, and then consume the last one if you would like. So don't just put it all in your mouth in 10 seconds, is what mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say, which is mm-hmm. kind of my whole childhood. Just like eat it yeah. as fast as you can, not know that you're full, mm-hmm. and just keep eating more, right? These are extremely powerful for pediatric patients for childhood obesity. Mm-hmm. It, I believe in the New England Journal of Medicine did a study, and it was called the turtle bite study, where every five or 10 bites at some interval, they took one the kids took one bite that was extremely slow. And it was helpful for uh, recomposition of those kids. Really? You mean recomposition of their, their bodies? When you're uh, in the field of uh, pediatric obesity medicine, you're not really going, your end target's not weight loss. Sure. It's uh, usually weight gain, but a body recomposition. Huh, so less fat Correct. weight gain, but more like you're growing as a child either way. But it's diversifying the weight gain, I guess, right? Correct. Directing it in another place. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so we have meals per day, timing of meals, eating speed. I think you said one or two others. Timing of meals, that would kind of incorporate intermittent fasting, which yep. is not, it's more of a health tool mm-hmm. rather than a weight loss tool. Meals per day, I'm, eating speed, yeah. timing. I'm sure there are other tools. Those sure. are the ones that I remember off the top of my head. If you were just saying, hey, listen, I don't want to count calories, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to do the intermittent fasting thing. I'm not going to eat slower or like split it up in three things. That seems like too much work for me. But I will eat one less meal a day, right? Or I'll only eat a certain amount of meals and then I'll essentially be intermittent fasting uh, in that process. But if I looked at it as, okay, what would my meals per day look like? Mm. If I wanted to consume a little less calories, Obviously, I'm going to feel hungry, but when can I do it where I'm not going to want to munch on extra calories? What would that be? Skip dinner? Is that, you know, what does that look like? I would say skip eating after dinner and don't even worry about taking away a meal. No eating after 7 p.m. That being said, if you do remove one meal, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner, it is not helpful at at all for weight loss or body composition. To remove one meal, it's not helpful. Correct. So in isolation, removing one meal is not helpful at all for weight loss. Really? It's truly an intervention for health reasons if you would benefit from that. Less mTOR signaling, um, less uh, like growth signaling in cells in general, or more of a reprieve where your body's immune system has a chance 
to go throughout the rest of your cells and see if there is abnormal ones. Okay. For most individuals, unless they like doing that, for mental clarity, whatever benefit, some people really like skipping breakfast. But many people, especially those that struggle with metabolic syndrome, have other pathologies. There's several new ones. There is sleep eating syndrome where you eat, you wake, you're sleeping, you wake up, and then you eat and you don't even realize it. Really? You see that there's you know, a bag of chips and you literally don't even remember it, almost like sleepwalking. Wow. And there's also night eating where you consume almost all of your calories between dinner and bedtime. Often these individuals also stay up late at night. Those are chips, snacks, mm -hmm. and other like kind of emptier calories, right? Correct. But they don't eat breakfast. Really? Ice cream, They're, cookies, or whatever it might be, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the time where you could really, if you just stop eating after dinner, you'll you'll eat less calories. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like you're still at kind of like the even maintenance. You're not a caloric deficit, correct? Unless you eat less in each meal. Correct. And obviously it's possible to be in a deficit and do that as well. Um, but that's your biggest bang for the buck is not eating anything after dinner. Because society values family dinners and also social dinners with colleagues and whatnot, it would be very difficult to tell everybody to stop eating dinner. But if you wanted to design the perfect, like in a lab, uh, Truman Show style, whatever sure. you want to call it, um, not eating after about 3 p.m. would be even more beneficial. So you, For weight loss? Um, for health reasons. For health, not weight loss. I don't think it would have any effect with weight loss. Maybe it would, but that I know of it has not been studied. Gotcha. So it, it's truly because you can still consume all your calories in the morning and in the afternoon before 3 o'clock for the day, you could still consume a lot of calories is mm -hmm. what you're saying. So you'd still have to cut the amount of calories in yeah. that timing window. And then you'd just be intermittent fasting longer, mm -hmm. right? Which would help for health benefits. And maybe it would, I guess, um, help cleanse some of the dead cells and kind mm -hmm. of like regenerate new cells, that type of thing, but not necessarily for weight loss. So mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you say. But at the end of the day, it sounds like it's a caloric deficit. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> a matter of uh, helping provide individuals with the tools that will work best for them. Mm -hmm. So for some, they might need a shovel, and for some, they might want to want and or need a backhoe. Sure, sure. What uh, It doesn't seem like you've ever been out of shape. Have you ever been overweight? When I had my first child, I was about 40 pounds overweight. Really? Yeah, and I could hardly tell because I'm so... You're tall. Uh, tell, yeah, it's so hard tall to see. So it's kind of yeah. like the fat, just a little bit everywhere, right? Yeah. So how did you burn that 40 pounds? What did you do? I eliminated all liquid calories. Yeah. I ate foods of low caloric density, but high nutrient density. Like what? These five types of food groups are, mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of salmon. Um, I love spinach. I ate a lot of spinach that would kind of go under the fiber, fiber category. Yeah. I love carrots, although carrots don't have a lot of dietary fiber. They're just kind of empty, uh, insoluble fiber, if you will. Not totally, of course. But it's not, not many calories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, a few months later, I was kind of back at my baseline. Really? Yep. 40 pounds, just like that in a few months? Mm -hmm. Just by changing the way you ate? My biggest intervention was I eliminated all liquid calories, and I did not have uh, any more than two caloric beverages, whether it was uh, you know, like a coffee with a bunch of cream in it. I did learn to like black coffee during that time, really? and I still do. Um, but no more than two 
beverages with calories in them per month. Interesting. Because like something like a bulletproof coffee, which is, you know, a lot of people talk about intermittent fasting with a bulletproof, that still has a lot of calories, doesn't it? I don't know the macronutrient profile on bulletproof offhand, but I believe it's mostly protein. Okay. So if it's the one exception to that for some individuals could be a protein shake. And you would probably want to consume this in the morning rather than the evening. That way you can have the um, benefit of some degree of appetite suppression. Mm. Some protein shakes like casein, which is an interesting one to talk about because it can also affect prolactin. And some people negatively, if their prolactin is too high, casein can increase it. But casein is also digested very slowly and it has a lot of uh, amino acids in it that will activate mTOR. So during your eating window through the day, if you consume your casein at the beginning of the eating window, then it could be helpful to provide satiety and also help with anabolism. But if you consume it at the end of your day, then it's going to essentially um, cut short your fasting period. So if you have a protein shake after 8 o'clock, right? Say someone's working out consistently yeah. and they're doing a workout in the morning or in the afternoon, they eat their dinner, but then they're still hungry and they say, well, let me just do a protein shake, right? It's yeah. 150, 200 calories, but it's 20 to 40 grams of protein. Are you saying having that, because it's got the calories, it's extending the eating window, so it's not allowing you to, to, to burn off those calories more? Or what are you saying there? That would be more for health reasons. For yeah. example, let's take an intermittent faster that right before bed every night, they have a shake of 50 grams of casein. So that's essentially making their intermittent fasting for health reasons worthless. Right. Because their mTOR is still very active for many hours at night. Mm -hmm. um, however, if you are looking at the satiety benefit of specifically protein, if your shake has just protein in it, then that's going to help provide some degree of satiety. Well, you're not hungry. Mm -hmm. So you mean, yeah. Yep. And there's obviously a lot of factors to this. One that has received a lot of press recently is called GLP-1. There's all these different drugs like semaglutide that are GLP-1 agonists. And if you look at carbs, carbs spike up GLP-1 very quickly. GLP-1 is produced in a lot of areas, but a lot of it is the gut and also the pancreas. And then fat uh, will increase very, very slowly, but it will increase GLP-1 for a long time. And protein is somewhere in between. You had like a formula in there that you said uh, about two minutes ago. You you said no snacking. You you said a few other things. Can you share that formula again? Yeah, yeah. So one, you want to cut down the sugar because sugar is not good, and I think everybody agrees on that, right? Cut down the refined uh, foods. So this actually applies mostly to carbohydrates, but refined other stuff is not good either. So refined fats, for example, are not good for you. So trans fats were pretty clearly bad. Refined meat, like bologna and hot dogs and stuff, are not really good for you either. So you want to eat whole foods, right? So whole foods, you want to eat no sugar, you want to eat, you know, plenty of proteins and fats. And then you want to make sure you have a, you know, cut out the snacks and have a decent period of fasting. And that really just gets you back to 1970, where people were still eating white bread, right? White bread, I know I grew up in that period. Nobody ate whole wheat bread. Nobody ate whole wheat pasta. It was white bread. It was white pasta, right? But you didn't eat all the time. That was the big difference. 
right? And it was the same everywhere you went. You know, the Irish were eating potatoes, the Chinese were eating rice, the Japanese were eating rice, you know. Those are all carbs, refined carbs, right? Bread, rice, potatoes. Um, and, but they were doing okay because they weren't eating all the time. They give their bodies a break from eating, right? Whereas now we don't give our bodies a break from eating. We think that it's healthy to constantly eat. We've, we've lost the idea that there's that balance between eating and not eating. Like, why wouldn't you think that that's important? <laughs> mm -hmm, like right. balance everything else in life, right? Why wouldn't you want to balance eating and not eating, right? Don't you think that's like fundamentally important? Like I think it is, but up until sort of I wrote the obesity code, people just thought fasting was really bad for you, which is sort of odd, you know, because it's like, up until then, there everybody's saying, "Oh, fasting so bad for you, right? You're going to do so bad." It's like you know, we've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> so I'm curious then, what effect does fasting have on reducing our chances of getting life-threatening diseases, and also, which diseases are are most people at risk if they don't fast and improve yeah. their their diet? Uh, type 2 diabetes is probably the biggest one. And the reason is that it's a huge one. It's become an epidemic. So lots of people have it. If you look at pre-diabetes and diabetes, which is uh, sort of, um, and, and you do big surveys, it's actually about 50% of adult Americans, right? So it's very common to have pre-diabetes and diabetes. And the problem with it is that it causes all kinds of other problems. It, cause, it increases your risk of heart attacks, strokes, cancers, leading cause of blindness, leading cause of non-traumatic amputations, leading cause of kidney disease, all of those things. And, you know, in trying to understand type 2 diabetes, you just have to understand that it's basically your body has too much sugar. That's it. So if you have too much sugar, remember, excuse me, your body really has two sources of energy it can use. It can use sugar, which is mostly glucose, and it can use fat. And when your body stores energy, it stores it as sugar or it stores it as fat. Makes sense, right? So if you have too much fat, then you have obesity. If you have too much sugar, you have type 2 diabetes. Interesting. But the situation, the solution is the same. So think mm -hmm. about it. Your body has too much energy, both situations. Obesity, you have too much energy stored away. In type 2 diabetes, you have too much sugar, which is also too much energy stored away because both fat and sugar are sources of energy for the body. So if you think about trying to reverse type 2 diabetes, because again, this was I wrote about this in the diabetes code, um, and I said it's a reversible disease because your body doesn't have too little energy. It has too much energy. So think about this situation. Think about your car. Suppose you go to the gas station three times a day, you fill up. Now it's full, but you still keep pumping gas in, right? So it's spilling out, it's spilling out, it's spilling into your back seat and it's now making you sick. But what are you going to do? Well, here's what you wouldn't do is keep going to that gas station three times a day, right? <laughs> it's ridiculous. You do two things. One, stop putting gas in. And two, drive that car around so that you use the gas that's there. Mm -hmm. That's what you would do. Now think about burn the, your body. Burn the gas. Burn, the, burn gas. the gas. Exactly. Think about your body. Your body has too much energy. What are you going to do? One, stop putting it in. Two, let it run without putting it in for a while. 
that's intermittent fasting. That's all you have to do. And think about the this, this, this situation. You've got a disease state, which has become an epidemic, which contributes to heart attacks, strokes, cancer, but you have a solution which is completely free and has been used for thousands of years, which is not anything more complicated than let your body run off of the fuel that's already sitting on there. Mm -hmm. Is it fun? No, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> is it healthy? Yes, it is. In those situations, yes. very healthy. And, and people used to say, well, people won't do it. It's like, my job as a doctor is not to tell people what they will and won't do. My job is to tell them how they should get healthy and I'll help them, right? So if, if fasting is a good solution, which I believe it is, then I'll help them. Whether they do it or not is up to them, right? But the point is that it's, it's, it's free, it's simple, it's been used for thousands of years, it's available to everybody. You don't need special equipment. You don't need a special diet. You don't need a special anything. Everybody in the world can do this at any time, like literally like today, tomorrow, anytime they could do it. It's not like, you know, oh, I have this great drug for people. Yeah, but except it costs $500,000, right? That's crazy. No, fasting is not doing to do that. You're going to save time. You're going to save money and you're going to get healthier. So what could be better than that. Like it's a crazy situation where we have this huge healthcare issue, but the solution is completely free, which explains why there's so few people telling you to do it because who's going to make money on it, right? And that's not my concern. My concern is telling people <laughs> what they need to do to get healthy, right? Yeah. What do you think is the biggest mistake people make when it comes to fasting then? I think the single biggest mistake is sort of overeating afterwards. So you fast for a period of time, then you say, oh, well, I deserve that ice cream. It's like, you, you could do it, but you're going to sort of get a lot less benefit. You're going like, you got a great benefit from the fasting. Now, you know, you're, you're, you're losing some of that because you're eating the foods that you didn't eat. And that, that really is a temptation for people to do. And I think it's natural and we've all done it. And, you know, uh, but the point is that after you fast, you should really just eat as normally as possible. So if you eat, you know, a normal breakfast, normal lunch, normal dinner, the next day is your fasting day. You don't eat breakfast. You don't eat lunch. You should eat a normal dinner. Don't mm. try to eat all three meals crammed into one, right? That's not the point. Like the point is to drop those meals and let your body take the energy from your body fat. So you drop breakfast, your body normally gets 500 calories from there. You want to take it out of your body fat. Same thing for lunch. If at dinner, instead of taking a thousand calories, you decide to stick in 2000 calories. Well, you've <laughs> negated a lot of the benefits that you should have gotten because that energy is going to go in, right? So, so the good thing is that it's hard to do that. So when, when you restrict the time and you don't tell people what to eat or how much to eat, they actually naturally eat less. Um, so, so it's actually an interesting thing because uh, this gets to the question of hunger. So there's, you know, in terms of weight, weight loss, there's sort of two big issues that trip people up. One is metabolic rate and two is hunger. So hunger, people think that hunger will just go up like this, the fasting. It's actually not true. So you can actually measure uh, the hunger hormone called ghrelin, 
which is basically it goes up high and you get hungry. So when you fast, ghrelin is high. So if you normally eat lunch, you're hungry. So ghrelin is high. What happens when you don't eat lunch? You skip your lunch. Well, a, a couple hours later, your ghrelin level actually falls back to baseline. Mm. So, fact, so you don't feel you don't feel hungry anymore. No, your hunger goes back to baseline level. Interesting. So if you eat uh, lunch at 12, you're hungry at 12. Now you skip lunch, you're hungry at 12, you're hungry at one. By four, it's no different than if you ate or didn't eat. So people are like, what happened? Well, your body took the energy from your body fat stores. It took the 500 calories from body fat. You basically fed yourself off of that body fat. So why would you be hungry? And the answer is you're not. And that's why it goes right back to baseline. Same thing happens at dinner. If you do multiple day fasts, it's actually even more interesting because ghrelin actually, after day one to two, it actually starts to go down and down and down. So your hunger actually disappears. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com.